Father, we do confess our weakness again this morning. We need you now. We're weak listeners and receivers. We're weak speakers. And so please be at work by your spirit. Might we see more of who you are through this parable of Jesus? Might we see more of ourselves? And might we be those who persist in prayer? Be at work among us. Amen. One of the, um, the really big themes in Luke's gospel is that Jesus, God the Son, God in the flesh, is a prayer. He is one who prays. He is familiar with prayer. It comes up again and again and again. He is spending time with his Father again and again. So flick through if you like or just take it in. But chapter 3, it is baptism. He is praying and the Spirit descends in bodily form like a dove on him. Chapter 5, he often withdraws to lowly places and prays. Chapter 6, he went out on a mountainside to pray and spend the night praying to God. Chapter 9, he's praying in private. Chapter 9, again, he takes Peter, James and John with him up onto a mountain to pray. Chapter 11, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. I don't think he's just an introvert needing a bit of space. This is Jesus at prayer with his father. And in Luke, more than any other gospel, we see that. He is an often withdrawing to pray guy and praying in private guy. He is a a do without sleep and spend the night in prayer guy. Which is maybe why in chapter 11, the disciples famously ask him how to pray. And he teaches us the Lord's Prayer. Of all the things they could have asked. I mean, seriously, They had just heard incredible teaching in the Sermon on the Plain. It changed the world. It's still applied today, still shapes us today. They had just seen incredible healings. They had seen him raise the dead. What would you ask Jesus to help you with? Because they ask him, teach us to pray. Maybe they had worked out that was where the power came from. Jesus knew how to pray. And one of the things he longs for us to learn about prayer, a lesson for our times, is that persistence in prayer really matters. So come with me again to chapter 18, if you've lost it, and you get it right at the beginning of the story. Jesus tells us. It's the only place it happens. Luke says, here's what this story means. Now let me tell you the story. So verse 1, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. Now before we read it again and jump in, parable is is an unfamiliar word for some of us. It's a kind of churchy type word. It's a word that's a bit confusing, particularly perhaps if English isn't our first language. Jesus told parables for all kinds of reasons. But I think very often he uses parables because... They are stories with a surprising message, a a story with a sting, if you like. They draw us in, they capture our hearts. And then like a stealth bomber, they hit us with truth. A very famous one um, from the Old Testament before Jesus was a guy called the prophet Nathan. Very cleverly, he confronts King David over his, his adultery and then subsequent actions with Bathsheba and 
Husbands murder, all kinds of horrible stuff. And, and Nathan comes and he tells King David a story. It's the story of a poor and powerless man. And, and this powerless man's favorite precious lamb has been stolen by a rich and powerful man. And Nathan the prophet says, what should be done? And David is furious. He's drawn in and he wants this rich man to be punished. How dare he steal this poor lamb? And then we hear from Nathan the words, you are the man. He convicts himself. He's drawn into the story. And then the stealth bomber hits him. And I think our parable for this morning is no different in one sense. It will draw us in and and disarm us. And then it will hit us with an extraordinary truth. And I think it's the kind of truth that might change how we pray. And so it's the kind of truth that might change our lives. Let me read the parable again from verse 2. Luke 18, verse 2, Jesus said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. And for some time he refused, but finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Okay, big picture, we've got two characters in the story. And notice there's, a, there's power dynamics at play. Jesus sets it up, it's very striking. You've got character one, the judge. He is responsible for providing justice for those in his region who needed it. He had one job. That's the one thing he does. He's at the top of the tree in terms of holding all the power for that place. Second character is the widow. She's at the very bottom of the tree. She is in need of justice. She is entirely reliant upon another. She is helpless. She is unable to sort the situation. The one person who might be lower down than her would be any kids that she had before she was widowed. But look, it's worse than that. Think of the widow. She's the main character in the story, but there are three things going against her. Number one, we've already said, she's a widow. And in the culture of their time, those listening to the story would know she was powerless. She can't help herself. She has no means of income. That was why God, in his law, would would look after the orphan and the widow, the outcast and the fringe, those who might be forgotten, those who need care. God loves all his people, the, the visible but the invisible too. The overlooked. God sees and he notices and he cares. So number one, she's a widow. Number two, she has an adversary. And we know the story so well, we might almost miss it, but we don't know why, but somebody has got it in for her. There's, there's some beef going on somewhere. And it seems it can't be ignored or dealt with privately, and so it's escalated and She needs external help from the outside. And so where does she go? She goes to the judge, of course, because he brings justice. And so here she is, banging on his door, asking for help. So she's a widow. She has an adversary. It's the third issue, the judge. Man alive, the judge is not just. Jesus tells us that in verse 2. In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. In verse 4, at least this scumbag has some sort of self-awareness. Even though I don't fear God or care what people think. 
And he's a slight kind of pantomime criminal, isn't he? But even though it was his responsibility to look after the helpless who need justice, women like this widow, at least at the beginning, he won't help her. Doesn't care what God thinks, doesn't care what you think, doesn't care what I think, anyone else. And so here is our widow, the ultimate victim. And the only man who can help her won't. The judge doesn't care. So what does she do? What can she do? She keeps knocking on the door. She keeps banging. She hasn't received justice. And she, so she hassles and she bothers and she persists and she keeps going and she knocks on the door day after day after day after day. What else can you do? In the story, she's not cunning. She's not clever. She's not courageous. She may have been, but that's not the story. That's not why she gets the answer. Jesus tells us she gets the answer because she just keeps going. And in the end, simply to stop her bothering him, the judge comes and gives her justice. Verse 4, for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. You see why he answers? It's selfish. The judge is selfish. It's self-preservation. He has had enough of her tenacity and her persistence. And Jesus says to you, and he says to me, this is a portrait of prayer. And we think, what? And I think it's a parable that raises a whole bunch of questions. I've got three for this morning. Maybe they've been bubbling up for you already. I think there are three questions that we need to explore to try and work out how this is a portrait of prayer. The first one is this. And it's, who are we in the parable? And can I be honest? I have struggled with this parable. I think it's a strange story. I think I've always struggled with it, to be honest. Just trying to work out who is who and what Jesus is saying and what he's not saying and, and where there are parallels and where there aren't. And I think I'm going to say two things, first of all. Number one, God is not like the judge. I think that is really important. God is not like the judge he does care about people. He does care about his own glory. He is not selfish and self-seeking. He is other-centered and generous. He doesn't answer your prayers to stop you bothering him because he's annoyed with you. God is not like the judge. I've heard it preached like that before, but I think it's wrong. We are not trying to rip his hands open in prayer as if he's unwilling or unkind, or as if just through our sheer tenacity and persistence and to stop being bothered, he begrudgingly goes, oh, fine, clear off. Your father in heaven is not unrighteous. He is not in it for himself. He is not stingy. So when you come before him in prayer, please don't imagine him to be like that. I don't think that's what's going on here. That is not what our God is like. So number one, God is not like the judge. And I want to say carefully, number two, I'm not sure we are quite like the widow either. Let me try and persuade you of that. So do you remember in chapter 11, the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. 
And then Jesus said, 11 verse 9, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So you're the little child asking your father for lunch, and you say, can I have an egg sandwich? And he gives you a scorpion snake salad. It doesn't work. It doesn't happen. That is not what our Father in heaven is like. And so I want to say we are not like the widowed woman banging on the door, hustling for justice from a begrudging, corrupt official. We are asking our loving Father in heaven for bread. And he only gives us good things. And he longs that we ask and that we seek and that we knock. He is more ready to hear than we are to pray. He is more willing to answer than we are to ask. So come back again. Who are we in this parable? Well, if we are followers of Jesus today, however falteringly, however imperfectly, it's there in verse 7. Do you see who we are? We are his chosen ones. We are the elect. We are loved by him. He's got you. He loves you. And I don't know what's going on with you at the moment. What life is like. It doesn't, maybe it doesn't feel like that. Maybe you might look at your circumstances and you think it points elsewhere. It feels like he's a mean judge and I'm a powerless widow and I don't know what to do about that. But more Moreau, can I say, as his, you are dearly loved, you are cherished. You were chosen in him before the creation of the world. He loved you and he gave himself for you. And he longs that you would come and ask and come and seek and come and knock. And he longs to give you bread and eggs and good things and not snakes and scorpions. You are cherished and chosen. So God is not like the judge and we are not like the widow, although, of course, we do come before our Father and ask for things. And so how much more should we delight in prayer? And so I want to say, no, this is not an inspiring story of David and Goliath, of a woman who beats the odds, a little nobody and a huge somebody, and goodness me, isn't this incredible? Now, this is about the gospel. This is about your status as one of his Chosen and cherished and loved, he is more ready to hear than you are to pray. He is more willing to answer than you are to ask. And if that is true, then why do we need this story? Why does Jesus tell it? Why do we find persistence in prayer so hard? If that is the dynamic of prayer, then why do we have this parable of the persistent widow? Second point, so why do we want to give up praying? It's there in verse 1, always pray and never give up. It's ESV, it's don't lose heart. It's the message, never quit. Why do we feel like quitting? Why do we lose heart in prayer? Why do we want to give up? Well, just before we go there, firstly, there's an encouragement that he knows us. He knows you. He knows our hearts. The fact that he's even told the story is evidence that he knows what's going on inside me and inside you. And how easily we can be downhearted and discouraged and distracted. 
how we find persistence so tricky. He knows that we'll find prayer hard. He knows that we'll find persistence in prayer hard. And so he tells us a parable to help us. Secondly, why do we want to give up? Why do we lose heart? Why do we feel like quitting? Some tentative thoughts towards a bit of an answer. The first one is just, often the Lord's timescale is very different from ours. We, we encountered that over Christmas, didn't we? we? We are 21st century West. We love instant gratification. But at Christmas, we were thinking of Christmas songs. And we think of Simeon, Anna, Zechariah, who waited and waited and waited and waited. And 400 years or so of silence. And yet, like them, we are those who wait for Jesus to return. So the Lord's timescale isn't necessarily like ours, and we can find persistence in prayer in the waiting hard. Can't you? Think of some of the other parables. Think of the emphasis that Jesus has on agriculture. Partly it would be all around them, so they would get it, but partly as well. Farming takes time. Plants take time. Think of the mustard seed as it slowly grows to fill the whole world. Think of wedding servants waiting for the master to return. Think of Peter in his letter saying, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. And we're not great at waiting, are we? We can just about cope through December with an advent calendar, but like in, in real life, I mean, I have to wait for something? And so it must be wrong. Do you not know who I am? Why are you making me wait? So maybe he's teaching us to be those who wait, and maybe that persistence is training us in thinking more in terms of his timescale. More than that, we're a, a people, a, we're humanity. From the very first pages of the Bible, we, we want to be like God. It's part of the nature of sin, and so we can be proud and find it hard to admit our weakness and go to him for help. 21st century Westerners, and again, we are extraordinarily proud, comfortable, entitled. I'll sort this out myself, thank you. It's okay, I've got it, don't worry. As evangelicals, we can be activists. So many things to do. So many events. So many things. I can't do it all. But again, maybe he's teaching us to pray, to slow down, to stop, to pray. I suspect for some of us it's a bit more personal though and the, the question is more to do with the delay. I mean to tread carefully but why does God delay in often what are very good prayers? Maybe there are things you're praying for, you have been praying for for years and you don't quite know why he's not answered. Maybe you prayed for good things, maybe family who don't follow Jesus, maybe, maybe Christians around the world who are persecuted daily who as we meet now are facing persecution as they seek to meet or maybe even can't meet why does god delay in those things why does he need our persistence what does persistence bring that an instant answer wouldn't and so you've grown weary in your prayer i feel a bit like peter in the boat after the resurrection and jesus says trust me try this yeah, I'm not sure. I think I'm done. You're ready to quit. 
Again, I don't have many answers, but a few thoughts. I think there's mystery as to why um, prayers are not always answered, but, but three little reasons why he might delay. Three things that persistence brings that an instant answer wouldn't. Number one is dependence. strikes me the Lord's Prayer is a day-by-day prayer. The Lord's Prayer is daily evidence of our ongoing trust in him. It's the daily asking and seeking and knocking and reminding ourselves that it's not about me and my kingdom, it's him. And I'm not the Messiah and I can't do it on my own and I need him to provide for me. And so the Lord's Prayer is a daily humbling He provides, he pardons, he protects each day. I saw a friend recently who last year, 2023, made it his ambition to pray the Lord's Prayer every day, every single day. And his reflection at the end of the year was how much good it had done him. Maybe that's something for us. Because our hearts are so quick to forget who has provided. We're the toddler who wants to be grown up and do it all by ourselves. And I'm fine, thank you. And yes, I can tie my laces. You can't, you're three. And yet he says to you, you are chosen and you are cherished. And so ask and seek and knock. And it's okay to be dependent. You are meant to be dependent. We're not independent. And so I wonder if that persistence prep Persistence in prayer shows something of our ongoing dependence. And that is a good thing. That's the way it is meant to be. Second one is intimacy. I wonder if persistence leads to intimacy with God. It's Jacob wrestling with the angel of God in Genesis 32. I won't let you go unless you bless me. And it's a peculiar story. But I wonder if there are parallels there. It gives us a glimpse into this facet of prayer that can be lost in our times. It's the fact that when we don't get what we want straight away, then we are left with the Lord. It's explicitly there in Colossians 4. Epaphras is wrestling in prayer for the church. But I wonder if you get it again and again. You get Moses wrestling with God on behalf of the people. You get David wrestling and pouring out his heart in the Psalms. You get Habakkuk lamenting the state of Israel. You get Paul longing for the thorn to be removed. You get Jesus pleading in the garden for the cup to be taken away. And most of us here are quite British and a bit cautious. And we just kind of tone down our prayers a bit give it a go for a couple of days but if nothing really happens then we'll try something else and try and sort it myself and I wonder if we persist if we wrestle if we plead regardless of the answer sometimes God shows us more of himself so we don't just know about him but we know him and he draws near and the situation might not change but our perspective does it might bring comfort or clarity or sometimes even the thing we were praying for, turns out it was a scorpion. And so he hasn't answered. But he ends up giving us bread. And sometimes God says, I'll not give you what you want, but I'll give you something better. And sometimes God says, Do you know, I'm going to leave the thorn in. Because if I leave that thorn in, you will know, you will remember that you are weak and you need to keep looking to me. And in your perpetual weakness, you will keep your eyes on me rather than on yourself. And you'll find that I am enough. 
And so persistent prayer can lead to an intimacy that means we don't just know God on paper, but we know him because we've wrestled with him. He reveals more of himself to us. But then third one, sanctification. Dependence, intimacy, sanctification. That is, it's not just that God reveals more of himself to us, but actually through the struggling, through the wrestling, through the hardship, through the persistence, we find ourselves changed. We don't turn away from him, we turn to him. And in that suffering with him, so he sanctifies us and changes us and shapes us to be more like the Lord Jesus. We see more of the reality of our hearts. And maybe again and again we come to him in repentance and faith. Maybe we see how important the thing had become and we realize we wanted the gift, not the giver. And so we, re- we, know, we know ourselves better. And he shapes us to be more like Jesus. As I say, there's mystery. But I wonder sometimes whether that persistence will lead to some of those three things that an instant answer wouldn't bring. Dependence, intimacy, sanctification. But know that prayer is never bad for you. God's answers to our prayers will never be bad for us. But keep persisting. Keep pressing on. Keep trusting him. Keep going. His timing is perfect. Third question, at least for me, from this parable is, how's it going to end? What do I mean by that? It all gets concluded in a way that I wasn't particularly expecting. There's a bit of a challenge. There's a bit of a sort of blind side. Maybe it's the stealth bomber at the end of the parable. Have a look at verse 7 and verse 8 with me. Um, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. And we'll finish there? No, we don't. However, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So there is an encouragement. You are seen, you are known, you are loved, you are heard by your Father in heaven. Justice is coming. Eternal justice is a reality. Wrongs will be righted. God does see. Our God has a deep commitment to justice. And that is amazing news. Actually, if you flip back a page, um, or maybe even, yeah, the start of the passage and you go back to um, just chapter 17, you'll see one aspect of the context is about persecution here. Persecution for believers. It's the people around the world who we pray for each week, who are crying out for justice. Our God has a deep commitment to justice, but actually he cares so much about justice that in Christ it cost him everything. Because the problem with a prayer for perfect justice will affect each of us. Because in one sense, we are all victims and we are all perpetrators. And for him to get rid of all the unjust people and to bring perfect justice would mean nobody is left. Or maybe just one person is left. The one who did not deserve to face the judgment of God and who took it for his people and who died on the cross. So that a time of perfect justice would come as he returns, as God's anger against the sin of his people is forgiven, is taken away. So be encouraged, you are known, you are seen, you are loved. Justice will come, he will come back. This is not all there is. 
But then those final seven words, will he find faith on the earth? And I think from the context, the context of finding faith on the earth is those who have prayed and not given up, is those who are persistent in prayer. Those who have heard the words of this parable and with his strength, with his help, lived them out. Faith here means persistent prayer. And I find that deeply challenging. It is sobering, isn't it? Because at times my prayer can be really unpersistent. And yet these are the words. This is the story from Jesus who loves us dearly, who loves us extraordinarily. He says to his cherished and chosen ones, listen to my voice. And because he loves us, he gives us these hard words. At the end of the day, it's literally the only thing that matters. It's the thing that Jesus is looking for in this passage. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you tell us parables because you know us and because you love us. Thank you that we are chosen and cherished. Thank you that you love to hear us pray. Thank you that you will never give us a snake or a scorpion. You'll always give us good things, bread and eggs. Lord, we're sorry. We're sorry because so often we can be so poor at prayer. We find prayer hard because we're proud, because we think we're self-sufficient, because we want to be independent. We find persistence in prayer hard because we're just not good at waiting. We're not good at keeping going. We easily feel like those ones who want to quit or give up or be dis- are discouraged or downhearted. And so please help us. Please help us to to be persistent like the widow. Please help us even when you don't answer straight away as we would like. Help us to be those who are dependent upon you. Help us to grow in intimacy with you. Sanctify us as we wait, as we persist. Show us more of ourselves and more of you and shape us to be more like the Lord Jesus. And we pray that when he returns, he will indeed find faith on the earth. In his name we pray. Amen.